Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Lord, we just lift up our voices to you. We lift up our hearts, our souls. Open our minds and our ears now to receive your word. We're so thankful. Lord, and we pray for revival in our country. We pray for revival in our land, especially in eastern North Carolina and Wilson and Rocky Mount and the surrounding areas. And today we want to lift up another one of our partner churches. Lord, we lift up uh, this morning Impact Church and Pastor David List, one of our one of our churches that we partner with in this city. We also pray for our Rocky Mount campus today, Lord, that's meeting right now. Lord, we lift them up to you. But more than anything right now, we lift you up, Lord Jesus, and we ask you to speak to us now through your word and through testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, let's continue with our series today. We're in part seven. If you're here for the first time, it's okay. You can catch up. We have all these online. You can go back and watch if you'd like to. After the first service, we had some guests that came up to me, and they were like, I hate that we came in on number seven. I wish I'd been here for all of them. I said, well, you can go online. You can catch up. But today, we're continuing our series, Renovate the Heart, Renovation of the Heart, because we're convinced that life really begins with the heart. It says in Proverbs, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. We're convinced that, that life really flows from the heart. It flows from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Our hearts are like the control center, the seat of the will, the, the driver's seat, if you will. And so the heart is like that aspect of, of ourselves that is making decisions. And it's influenced, as we've been talking in previous weeks, by our thought life of the mind and also our emotions, which is of the mind. So those two influence. Also our bodies influence the desires of the body. And then there are social influences, people around us, our relationships influence our decision-making. And now today we're talking about the soul. And when we talk about the soul, what we're really talking about is really kind of all of the unseen aspects of ourselves together. Uh, here's what Dr. Willard, Dallas Willard, says about the soul. He says, the soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. It is the life center of the human being. Therefore, we must be mindful of our souls to acknowledge them in spiritual formation and transformation. It is necessary to take the soul seriously and deal with it regularly and intelligently. Uh, what does Willard mean when he says we need to be mindful of our souls? I think he means to acknowledge that they exist. It's that unseen center of ourselves. It's, it's what we're talking about in this message today, renovating our soul. The human soul is the center of personhood uh, of the human being. As, as author George MacDonald writes, he says, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. The soul is that eternal aspect of self that lives after the death of the body. After the passing of the body, the, the soul has eternal value. We are surrounded, as you look around this room, we are surrounded by people whose lives have eternal uh, value and will live in eternity either in a place with the Lord or apart from the Lord. And so the soul lives on. It has eternal value. Uh, the soul is made from God, created from God, by God. You don't have to read far in the Bible before we read this in Genesis. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living 
soul. And so, so the, the physical aspect God formed, and then he breathed into Adam, and he became a living soul. So the, the, the soul is that description of self that comes from God and is made created by God. Not only that, I'm com- convinced that the soul is not only from, by God, but it's f- for God. That the soul is for God. Here's what Augustine, the ancient church father, said. You have made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Why did God make you? He made you for himself. He made you because he wants you. And then the soul is never really right until it is right with God. Perhaps David the writer of much of the book of Psalms, had the most to say about the soul of perhaps anybody else in the Bible. 150 Psalms, many of them aimed at the soul. He had a real keen awareness of the condition of his inner life. And I'm not sure how much we in the Western world give consideration to the inner life, uh, the unseen aspect of self. But David writes this, on probably on a day that he was feeling particularly bad about some sin area in his life. He writes this in Psalm 31. He says, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength, and I am wasting away from within. Notice how he's talking about the way he feels on the inside. He has a, a way that the Holy Spirit's just revealing to him. He's, he says, my soul is withering away. I, it's like I'm wasting away from within. Are you mindful of your soul? What's the condition of your soul today? As you come in today, are you disturbed? Uh, is your soul in chaos uh, just, just, just having this sense of just like, how am I going to handle this? I'm worried about this. I'm concerned about that. And, and your soul's in turmoil. Do you feel heavy in your soul today? These are things that we know. They're hard to describe. The Greek word for soul is suke. It's where we get the word psyche from. It's where those those uh, areas of psychology and psychiatry and, and uh, so forth, they all come from that Greek word suke, which means soul. And psychology literally means the study of the soul. However, they really don't study the soul. They study human behavior and human attitudes and those kind of things. Really, the specialist for the soul is the Lord. He's the physician of the soul, and he's the one that we want to bring our souls to to bear our souls to, to the Lord. How's your soul today? <laughs> How's it doing today? Are you heavy and heavy laden? And are you troubled in the soul? Do you need rest? Do you need peace in your soul? Well, that's what Jesus offers. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, He gives a three-part invitation to, to those who would seek rest for their soul renovation of the soul and I believe today that we can hear this three-part invitation and we can say yes to Jesus and find rest for our souls that we can find nowhere else are you ready let's just read it's a couple of verses and then we'll apply it chapter 11 verse 28 this is Jesus speaking come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's Word. Amen. We're looking for a three-part invitation from Jesus on how to rest, find rest and renovation for our souls. Here's the first, come to Jesus. It's the first word in the first verse that we read. It's in uh, the adverbial imperative, come. What a great invitation. Jesus says to you this morning, come. And then who does he say to come to? He says, come to me. He doesn't say come to a philosophy or a place. He says come to a person. He doesn't say come to a religion. He says come into a relationship. Come to me. This is the first invitation. This is the entry point for understanding how he wants to be the physician for our souls. That He's the only one that can really give us rest for our souls. He says, come to me. This is either one of the most egotistical claims made by anyone, or it's the truth. Jesus does, doesn't invite us to some uh, psychology or philosophy. He says, come to me. And literally, if we could read this in the Greek and just look at it, and maybe kind of give you the English of how it would feel in the Greek language. Come to me, all who are laboring and who are being heavy laden. Both of those are in participial form, which means they have an ing word on them. It's hard to put it in English. It feels, it feels funny. But come to me, all who are laboring and are being heavy laden. I think it's, it's like that for us to capture that. It's not just like, like you used to be this way. It's like you're continuously this way. Like Jesus is looking... And he looks at the people that he's talking to, and he sees not just the outward, but he sees the inward. They may be dressed up and looking nice and have smiles on their faces, but he can see their souls. He can see the inside. In fact, he can see it better than they can see themselves. And he looks at them and he goes, you're so beat down. You're so heavy. You're carrying stuff too big for you to carry. Why? And and his heart of compassion goes to them and goes, if you would only come to me, come to me. But you just keep laboring and you keep carrying and being heavy laden. Come to me, all who are laboring and heavy laden. And he says, literally in the Greek, he says, I will rest you. The word give is implied in English, but there's no give in the original. In the original, he just, lets, he just says, I will rest you. I really like that. Like this rest is not like something over here that he gives you. Come to me, he says, and you'll find your rest in me. Come to me, rest in me. It's really more like that. It's not like rest is over here. Okay, I'll give you some rest. Here's a prescription for rest. No, it's not like that. It's like, come to me, you'll find your rest in me. You with me? You understanding? You getting what I'm saying? This is the invitation of Jesus. Come to Jesus. Reflect on your soul for a second. Here's what he sees. He sees us laboring and being heavy with burdens that don't even belong to us. Now, perhaps as he's talking to this audience in the first century, these were primarily Jews, and he talks in other places how the Pharisees, which were the law, uh, the people that were really caught up in the law, and they were actually adding to the law, laws on laws. 
And he said, you've made the yoke of, of Moses' law. You've made the yoke heavy for the people. And they can't keep it. And the truth is about the Mosaic law, God's law is perfect. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's so high and holy that no man can keep it because it's showing God's standard of holiness. And I think it's really there, maybe first of all, just to show us that we need a Savior. We, we can't keep it. But if we try to keep it, then we labor at it. And then when we don't keep it, in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, we make up excuses for ourselves. And we have to, our souls become withered in this excuse making, in the lying to self. The, the other thing is, the soul is, is trying to control outcomes because it, it, it can't keep the law, so it feels apart from God, it feels separated from God, and it's trying to control outcomes. And the more you try to control outcomes, the more you fail, and the more you worry and strive. So the soul looks like this it's shrinking. It's withered, and it's beaten up, and it's heavy. And as you get older, it just feels, I don't know if I get a witness on this, there might be somebody here this morning that says, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. Like I, I go to school, I go to sleep, I get up, I eat, I go to school. I get, like, I'm just looking for escape. And then when you go to escape somewhere, you try to get away. I just go to work. Then I come home, I go to sleep, I go to work, come home. I'm just going through the motions. If only I could get escape. The only problem with escape is everywhere you go, there you are. You always take yourself and your soul. And your soul, it might feel good for a season. Like, like okay, it's a change of scenery. This feels better. But the whole time, you know you've got to go back. Anybody who has a Monday through Friday job, do you get the Sunday night blues? Like we have that TGIF on Friday, like, woohoo! And then, then Sunday night we got the, woohoo! Like that. Like the Sunday night, I've got to go back to work in the morning. And it's because we're, we're living so outwardly and come to Jesus. Stop laboring in yourself. There's a three-part invitation over in Luke that sounds similar. Let me run it by you, and you'll see how they parallel. So this is Jesus speaking over in Luke chapter 9. He says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anybody, So he says, come to me, and then when he explains it over in Luke, so in Matthew he says, come to me, and then over in Luke he says, deny yourself. Here's what I start thinking. Like over here you are, and you're on your own, and you're laboring, and you're heavy, and you're trying to control outcomes and things, and you just worry yourself to death, and your soul is withering and, and fractured and, and in turmoil. In order to come to Jesus, you have to leave. You have to deny yourself. So uh, in order to come to Jesus, you have to leave something. You have to leave what you've been doing, your own labor. You have to leave your burdens. You have to leave your struggle. So you leave, you deny self, and you come to Jesus. I think if you put these, I don't have time to, to go through it all, but if you put like Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 with, with Luke nine twenty three, they kind of help each other. They inform each other. In order to come to Jesus, you must deny that you're in charge. You must surrender the throne of your life, the driver's seat, and come and say, Jesus, take control. Come to Jesus. 
So you leave and then you come to Jesus. And coming to Jesus, he recognizes what you need. I love this invitation in Mark to his disciples, Mark chapter 6. I love Jesus, I love boats, and I love water. I would love to get this. this like, I wish I could have been there. I wonder if we'll have these possibilities in heaven. I don't know. I would love to have Jesus say this to me. Would you? This is what he said in Mark. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no desire even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Look at Jesus. Come away with me by yourself to a desolate place. Let's, let's push away and go into deep water together on a boat. Get away from the crowd. Get away from social media and the news and all the distractions. Let's just focus on each other. Can you put that in the rhythm of your life? Now, some of you young moms with those little kids, you might be able to get with Jesus for 15 minutes in your bathroom with the door locked. And then that little one's going to be beating on the door anyway, but you can get in there. Get in there and say, Jesus, I'm in the bathroom for you. I've got the door locked. You might not be able, you might go, well, Gary, you don't know the rhythm of my life. I can't, I can't just get in a boat and go off with Jesus. I understand. Jesus does too. He's not trying to make things heavier for you. He's trying to lighten your load. So, but what I am saying to you, recognize the need of your soul for Jesus. And you can't just keep going on your own strength. You must leave your own self-empowered, self-directed life and move to a place where you've come to Jesus and now He's the Lord. He's empowering you. He's leading you. He's the one helping you. Sometimes we just need to come away with Jesus. And there are seasons where you go, I need to get a sitter if you've got kids, or I need to take time off work. I need to come away and not just go on a vacation. I need to go on a spiritual retreat and spend a couple of days with the Lord. Just reading His Word, praying, talking to Him. There are times in life where this is so critical. And we don't care for our souls. In the Western world, we have diminished the value. And our souls, the souls of the Western world is disappearing. It's being withered away. But we as believers, we, are, we know the doctor of our souls. We know the Lord Jesus. When I was young, uh, growing up, I would spend summers on the farm with my grandfather. And, but even before that, uh, before that, after church on Sundays, we would try to head out to my maternal grandparents' house, farmhouse, right after church. And, and my mom would say, she'd say, we're going to Granny and Papa's house after church, so make sure you put some play clothes in the trunk of the car. So I, I would get my play clothes together, you know, some, some old blue jeans and a t-shirt and some tennis shoes, because you got your Sunday clothes on going to church. And that way we could go straight from church to Granny and Papa's. And we would get on Interstate 81, and then we'd be in that big Buick, and then we'd take the exit, and we'd be on a two-lane highway, and then the lines would disappear. You'd just be on this old curvy paved road, and then you take another turn, and then the pavement would dis disappear, and you'd just be on a dirt road. How many of you ever been on dirt road? You know what dirt road is? Big old hunk of gravels like that on an old dirt road. And, and you would just feel, I was a little boy, but I can still remember, I just feel the excitement rise and any sense of trouble diminish. Something about getting out on that dirt road. And then I'd see the farmhouse and the old barn in the back. I'd see my papa on the front uh, porch waving at us, waiting for us to come in and eat a good meal. 
There was just something about going to my grandparents' house on Sunday. See, my daddy died when I was eight years old. And that was like my second father. That was like a second home. It felt like a little piece of heaven on that dirt road. That road in front of that old farmhouse is still dirt to this day. There's not many dirt roads left in, in, in the world. But that one's still dirt. I, I'd say the people that live there probably wish it would get paved. But every time I go down there, I'm really happy it's not. There was just something about the rest I would feel. And your cell phone just doesn't work down there. <laughs> Will you come to Jesus denying yourself, turning your life over to Him, giving Him the throne of your heart? It means leaving your self-directed, striving life behind and giving all to Him. Acknowledge the need of your busy and burdened soul. Come to Jesus. Here's the second part of His three-part invitation. He first of all says, come, and then He says, take my yoke which I'm going to say it like this, submit to Jesus. Because that's really what the yoke represents. It represents submission to come under the authority of Jesus. To submit your life to Jesus. Take my yoke upon you, he says. This is his invitation to lordship. The word take is in the imperative. It has the idea of to take on or to put on. And then the word yoke is, an, is imagery from a culture that was primarily agricultural. They would have been very familiar with this, but because we're not, let me show you a couple of images of what a yoke is. Here's what a yoke looks like. That's a, that's a yoke that you might put around two oxen to pull a cart of some sort, and the head would go through, and you can see how uh, you, could, you could fit it to their necks, and then it rests so that they could pull a load together. You go to the next slide, and you can see the oxen with the yoke upon them. And they've got a little thing right here that you tighten it up so that it fits them perfectly. That guy right there is looking right at us, isn't he? And so, uh, yeah, so that's what a yoke is. And so Jesus is using that word yoke as uh, a symbol of what it's like to come under his authority. One of the things I was thinking about he might be suggesting is that he would be right beside us and that he would be helping pull in fact, he'd be doing more than helping. It, it made me think about this. Uh, when, when my son Stephen was young, he used to love to help me mow the grass. He, he soon got over it, but when he was young, he loved to help me. And I had one of those, those mowers that the, the handle would fold in the middle. You could unscrew these things and fold it over so you could transport it. And so it had a bar that went here low and then the bar up here that you pushed with. And so Stephen, as soon as he'd hear the mower start, he'd come running out and he, he'd want to push on the lower bar, which slowed me down greatly, right? So if I was in a hurry, I'd be like, oh, okay, he, Stephen wants to help. Okay, but, but I would hopefully try to be a good daddy. I'd let him help. And boy, he would just, oh, he would grunt and groan. Oh, he was just working so hard. But he didn't know. He wasn't doing anything. I was pushing, I was empowering it, I was directing it. If I would have let him go, first of all, he couldn't push it, he wasn't strong enough. Second thing, he couldn't go straight. He couldn't drive straight. And so, here he is. Oh man, he just, he just thought he was doing everything. And that's how we are sometimes. That's how we are sometimes. We just think we got, I got this, Lord. No, you don't. You don't got this. If he lets go, you, you can't even push it. And if you could, you'd go off, you'd go off track, even if you could. What we really need to do is look over our shoulder and say, okay, I'm doing my part. It ain't much. You're really doing the heavy lifting. I'm glad I've got you, Lord, like that. 
And so that's what that yoke, that he, says, he says, take my yoke. It's not just any yoke, take my yoke. See, the yoke of, of the Mosaic law was heavy. You, you try to come under the yoke of the law, you can't keep it. And that's what the Pharisees, Jesus was talking about how, he was bur- how the, the Pharisees burdened the people instead of releasing the burden. That, and, and, and also they would use the word yoke like if you were coming under a rabbi, they would, they would call it coming under the yoke of a rabbi, under the teaching and training of a rabbi. So this was a well-known phrase, to, to take a yoke on, meant to take on the submission, to come under Jesus. Making sense? So come to Jesus, submit to Jesus, take His yoke. And then in verse 30, He tells us a two-part description of His yoke. So it's His yoke, that's the first part we've already made sure of. And then he says in verse 30, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In other words, his yoke is easy on you. It, it doesn't rub blisters on the shoulders of your soul. <laughs> it's fitted for you. It's made for you. And it's not too heavy. I was telling you about spending summers on the farm with my, with my papa. And he, he was a bus driver during the day, but, he, but if you're a bus driver, you've got time in the middle of the day to work. So you go do your three loads, then you come home, then you got three more loads in the afternoon. And so he farmed and drove the bus. And then in the summers, he didn't have any bus driving, so, so he was free. So I would spend summers with him. And he did everything old-fashioned, which to me today is a great gift. It's like I got to see stuff from over 100 years ago because I spent time with him. So there was no tractors. There was no mechanized farming. There was mules and cows and pigs and that kind of thing. And so he had these two mules. Their names were Kate and Beck. And Beck was blind in her left eye. And the two stalls in the barn for the mules had their halters and all this stuff. And, Be- and Beck's hung on her stall. And, and or excuse me, Kate's hung on her stall and Beck on her stall. Now, you couldn't switch them because Beck was shorter and older, and blind in one eye, and Kate was younger, and she was really the leader. She was stronger. She really pulled the strongest load. And you, and you couldn't switch them. If you tried to hitch them up with Beck, her blind eye out, she would kick and fight. Papa would be like, here, you, you got to get Beck on. You had to get him like this because Kate kind of protected her like that. And if you tried to put Kate's halter on Beck, it, it was too big. And if you tried to do vice versa, it was too tight. And so they were all just perfectly fitted. And I learned over time how to hitch up whatever, a plow, a wagon, whatever it was, to Kate and Beck. And I learned how to G and haul and do all of that with the reins. When I was 11, 12 years old, I was already learning this stuff. But I learned something about making sure the yoke was easy on them so it didn't rub blisters on them. Because a good, a good farmer, a good person that works with animals understands the best way to get the best work out of This is what Jesus is saying to us. What you're doing is is injuring your soul. What you're carrying is not even fit for, it's not even made for your soul, and it's too heavy for you. I'm for you. And if you'll try, see, you're always trying to work it out, aren't, aren't you always like, like, I don't know how many planners you got. Have I got some planners in the house where you like have lists of your list? Like, okay, here's my master list, and this is where, this, this list is over there. And then you got, and if you're really good at it, you put little boxes next to it because it, it just feels better when you put a check in it, right? Some of you like to mark it out. Mark it out. Some of you like a box, put a check. But the planners, 
I'm especially talking to you. Man makes his plans, the Bible says, but God determines his steps. And the more you plan, planning's good, planning's good, but remember, you can't control outcomes. We go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and we plan in the power of the Holy Spirit, but then we leave the results up to God. And if we try to control the results, try to control the outcomes, it just is destructive to our souls. Because we're carrying something that's not fit for us, and it's too heavy for us. And so we submit to Him. We submit everything. Because His yoke is easy, and His yoke's burden is light. What do we submit to Him? Everything. It says in Proverbs, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. We submit all things to Him. Sometimes you might think, well, I don't know how to get alone with, to come to Jesus and get alone with Jesus. I'm so busy. Sometimes if you could just like, can I talk to those moms with young kids again? If you can just get alone for five minutes and pr make the Lord's, uh, the, 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 the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, your prayer. Except personalize it. Can I give you an example how you, can, might, you could use Psalm 23? And it, it would help if you memorized it. That way you, you can carry it everywhere you go. Just hide it in your heart. Here's a way you might just use the Lord's is my shepherd. David wrote this. He, he knows about soul work. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside the still waters. Lord, you, you restore my soul. Lord, you lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, even though I'm my, I've got a tough day in front of me, I won't be afraid because I know you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they give me comfort. Some days I have to face enemies, but you prepare a table before me in the presence of the enemies. You ever have an appointment coming and you just can't, you're just like biting your nails all day and you feel like you're facing an enemy and then you get there and you find out the Lord put a banquet table out in front of you? You hadn't had that? Give, the, give, give, give it to the Lord. You're still doing it in your own power? What's wrong with you? He'll even prepare a banquet table for you in the midst of, of someone you think is your enemy. Anoint my head, Lord, with oil. And not just a little sprinkle. I want, do, it like, do it like you told Moses to do Aaron. Dump, dump a whole pitcher on my head. Because the oil represents the Holy Spirit. It's like, pour it out, Lord. Surely goodness, this is what you can do. If the Lord is your shepherd, you can say this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's where I'm headed. You can't stop me. No one can stop me. The Lord is my shepherd. Dr. Willard calls this abandoning outcomes. Give them to the Lord. Lord, you're the shepherd. You determine my steps. You take care of my enemies. You take care. If I need rest, take me to a green pasture. Put me beside living water. If I need power, anoint me with the Holy Spirit. You're my shepherd. I know where I'm going. All things are well. All things will be well. And then finally... This is the third part of his invitation. He says, come, 
to him. He says, submit to him. And then he says, learn from Jesus. Learn from him. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Literally, the word learn could mean literally become a disciple of, be a student of, a pupil. It's the same root word that uh, the word disciple comes from in, in the Greek. To, to be a learner, a disciple. He invites you to be his disciple. Have you taken that invitation seriously? We understand, if, if you're a believer today, you understand what it means to come to him and submit to him. But have you been a learner? How, how do you learn from Jesus? We have a love letter from him that we should be students of. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we read and we apply it. Especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we can see how Jesus speaks, how he acts, how he treats others. We can learn from him. We can say, okay, I read that section, Holy Spirit, help me apply it to my life now. You talk to Jesus. He's, you've come to him and he's living in you by his Spirit. And so you learn from him by listening to, to that inner voice of the Spirit within. You take seriously the idea of being his disciple. You, you become a learner. I, you know, Christianity might be kind of unique in that regard, that we're called to be lifelong learners, and our topic of learning is Jesus. He doesn't say, learn that, learn that. He says, learn of me. <laughs> Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he gives us a self-description. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Learn from me. Now, if we would have read earlier in the chapter, we would have heard Jesus say, just prior to this, but just prior to saying, come to me, he says, my Father is in authority over everything, and my Father has given all things into my hand. And no one has ever seen the Father but the Son. And the Son... It's the one who reveals the Father to you. Now he says, how many things are in his hand? He says, all. What kind of things? All kind of things. Everything. This is the one, the creator of the universe, the king of all things, the authority over all things and all power. This Jesus. And he says, learn from me because I'm gentle. I'm over all things and I'm gentle. You know, he can say that because he's not disturbed about anything. You know why? All things are His, and all things are given to Him. Now, I want you, I'm going to stretch you for a second. This is what He wants you to learn. You can be gentle and lowly in heart, too, because all things are yours. Did you know that? Because we are co-inheritors with Christ. We're co-inheritors with Christ. He says, you're the body. I'm the head. You're the body. He, he was never tempted to destroy someone. You know why? Because with a thought, with a random thought, he could blink them out of existence. Because all things were under him. And so when, whenever someone uh, persecuted him or whatever, he was meek and lowly. And so what can we get here? If, if all things are mine, and all things are well, and all things will be well, and I will walk in His mercy and grace for the rest of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If those things are true, then there's nothing here that can harm my soul. 
Now you can kill my body, but you can't touch my soul. And this body's just a temporary tent that's going to get folded up one day, and I get a new one. For the soul is meant for the body, and the body for the soul. And the soul groans for its resurrection body. And it will until Jesus returns. But I'm not disturbed. And if I am, I have to ask myself, God, would you look at my soul? Jesus, look at my soul because I should be at rest. And if I'm not at rest, then my soul is not at rest in the one and only Jesus. It's because I did a take back. I went, okay, Jesus, I came to you, but could I have that piece back? I'm going to work on that piece over here. And now I'm not at rest. Now I'm not at rest. Trying to, trying to control outcomes again. Oh, I'm learning. I'm growing. When my soul gets disturbed like that, I come, to, I come running back to Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Take this back from me. It's too heavy. I can't carry this. Take this back. Now I want to walk according to your yoke. According to your, you see, I, I, it's made for me. It's, it doesn't rub blisters on my soul's shoulders. It's fit for me. He gives us rest for our souls. He gives us salvation for our souls. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. What can we learn from Jesus? If, if He's like this, I can be like this. It says in Philippians, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We can be gentle and lowly of heart. Now what does it mean to be lowly in heart? It means to be humble. It doesn't, it doesn't mean to have low self-esteem. That would be damaging to your soul. That means you don't know who you are in Christ, because if you know who you are in Christ, then you, you have good, healthy self-esteem, because you know He loves you, and you know He died for you, and he he was you're going to live forever. So you've got a healthy self-esteem. So what does it mean to be humble and lowly and hard? Does it mean to think less of yourself? No, it means to stop thinking of yourself at all. And to think of Him and others. And He takes care of self. He takes care of your soul. It doesn't mean low or no self-esteem. It means, I'm not even thinking about myself anymore because God's got this. I've surrendered my, my soul to Him. And so I put others. And I have the mind of Christ for all things. David understood this soul thirst. This, this fact that our souls are made for God and they won't find rest until they find it in God. In Psalm 42... David writes, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. See how David is keen to be aware of his soul when he feels this, this warning light in his soul, like, why am I downcast? Wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be like this. Why am I not joyful? What's Why am I worrying? Soul. <laughs> He's talking to himself. This is the one time it's, it's healthy to talk to yourself, by the way. Soul, go to Jesus. Go to your Savior. And, and, and he tells him, I'm going I'm to praise the Lord. And he, he's learned to encourage himself in the Lord and to run back to his Savior. 
This is the Savior who talked to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. This is Jesus in John chapter 4, who the woman had come to draw water, and he says to her, woman, would you give me a drink? And she goes, you're a Jewish man. Why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? He doesn't even answer that. He goes, well, if you had asked me, I would have given you living water. And she goes, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to draw water? He goes, the water I would give you, and then we can read this verse, John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Anyone who drinks this water, and he points to the well, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And the woman says, I'd like to get some of that water. And he goes, well, God's looking for worshipers that would worship him in spirit and truth. And she goes, well, I heard that when Messiah comes, he'll explain all these things. And he goes, I who speak to you am he. And he reveals himself to her. And she goes, what? And she takes off running into the city of Sukkar. And she says, come see the man who told me I, everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And the whole city turns out. And the majority of the people in that city place their faith in Jesus and believe in Him. Do you have this living water in your soul that bubbles up like a living spring? This is what He promises. This is what He wants to bring to our souls. He wants to, us to learn from Him so that we have this spring flowing up from within. Notice His gentleness and His lowliness with the woman at the well. He's so gentle with her the way He reveals Himself. He'll be that way with you. You can trust Jesus with everything you have. He'll be and will always be the most trustworthy friend you'll ever, ever have. Now I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to close with two kinds of prayers. The first kind is for those of you that are here today, and you came in apart from God. You came in checking God out, like I... I need something. Your soul is troubled. You need help. And I'm going to pray for you first that you would come to Jesus for salvation, for, for eternal rest for your souls, that you'll know you'll have a future with Jesus. I'm going to pray for you first. And then I'm going to pray for those of you that have already given your lives to Jesus, but you've been doing some take-backs. You know who you are. And that when I pray for you, I want you, to give, I want you to go back to Jesus and give him whatever that is that you're worried about. You ready? That's how I'm going to pray. Okay. You ready? Let's pray. Lord, first of all, I pray for that one that came in today and would say, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've been living my life by my own strength. I've never surrendered my life to, to Jesus, but today I'm ready. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you were raised from the grave on the third day and that you live today. Would you come and forgive me of my sins and live in me and save me and forgive me? I want to be a child of God. I want to follow you. I, I answer your invitation. I am coming to you right now, Lord Jesus. If you're praying that prayer right now, believing, he will save you and he'll make you his own. You can trust Him. Others are here today, and you've, you've received the Lord, but you've been, you've been doing life on your own. You, you've been doing take-backs. 
Lord, Holy Spirit, would you show us right now? Just put the image in our minds. What are you worried about right now? Just, just focus on that thing. What's, what's causing your soul to be heavy right now, to be burdened? What's worrying you? Why are you carrying that? Right now, just give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm sorry I took this back. It's too heavy for me. I give it to you afresh. Give me rest. In Jesus' name, amen.